What is going on, you guys? For this episode of the Rockney Cast, we're going to cover the work of W.P. Kinsella and his novel Shoeless Joe, the novel that inspired the field of dreams. You know, I've lived in Iowa my whole life, and I saw the movie Field of Dreams in 1989. And for some reason, I just had this sudden desire to read the actual novel. I occasionally drive through Dyersville. If you're in Iowa, you always hear stories about Field of Dreams, going to the ballpark, soaking it up. And of course, last year, the major league teams played there. So I thought reaching middle age, I should actually read Shoeless Joe Jackson and offer my observations on it. This is more kind of a meditation as opposed to review of the Shoeless Joe. First off, should you read it? Absolutely, you should read it. I mean, if you've seen the movie, it does track the movie pretty well, with the exception of J.D. Salinger is converted to Terrence Mann because evidently J.D. Salinger was kind of an asshole and he threatened to uh, sue the producers if they used his name um, in the movie. So that, that's pretty much the only change. But other than that, the movie pretty faithfully adheres to the novel itself. And so I'm going to offer essentially my meditation on this book, and I hope you find it helpful for you whether you're young, whether you're in middle age, or whether you're at the end of your life, because I think this book, the reason why it resonated with so many people is that it really hit on some sort of fundamental truths that I think are true pretty much for almost anyone in their life's journey. So format of this particular episode, I'm going to start with, with essentially a critique of the book, and then I'm going to sort of do a response to that critique at the end. So in other words, is this critique accurate or is it kind of a little bit unfair? And you'll have to wait till the end until you actually see my response on that. So essentially what we're going to do is we're going to start with a quote that the book starts off with. There's a send and then throughout the book, there are these, of course, mystical voices that Ray Kinsella, the book's protagonist, hears. The big three are, if you build it, they will come. We've all heard that one. Ease his pain. And then go the distance. Whenever you use this voice, it's kind of like you have to take an enema or something like that. You have to be really breathy. But really what he's talking about is the inner voice. Um, because I think the inner voice, this is the voice that I think we all get wrong in life. And we need to actually listen to the damn thing. And I think that's kind of the take home of this book. So uh, also, I just want to let you know, um, I'm not, you know, my episodes other than Tankara Lee do not get the, the number of listens, but I'm not only going to do a podcast on Tankat Ali. Probably will some because those are my best um, numbers, but we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of topics. So stay tuned for continuing episodes of the Rocky Cast. We're going to cover the work of the therapist Phil Stutz, Peter Zion, the so-called so expert on Ukraine. I'm going to respond to that. Of course, we are going to cover J.D. Salinger. I recently read Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway. And then we're going to cover one of my man crushes, Stephen Pressfield. And I should be able to incorporate the work of Stephen Pressfield into this actual meditation on Shoeless Joe Jackson. So let's get started to this terrific novel. You should definitely read it. One of the nice things about this particular book is is that it is not very expensive. You can get it for like two bucks. So like, if you're like, oh my God, I have a lot of barriers and I can't afford all these books that you talk about. Well, you can afford like two bucks 
And if you can't, that's a you issue. That's not a me issue. So a little bit, uh, I'm going to introduce you a little bit to um, W.P. Kinsella. He's the author of Field of Dreams. And also give you a little bit of small ball in terms of his relationship to me. He has no direct relationship to me. He died in 2016. But he did spend two years in Iowa City, and I spent about 20, 25 years in Iowa City. So I have some observations related to that. So who is who is W.P. Kensella? He is a, a Canadian author who arrived to the Iowa Writers' Workshop um, in the mid-70s and graduated in 1978. And he, Iowa obviously made, I think he was like a lot of people who come to Iowa, you know, especially Iowa City, they're like, oh my God, I, I can't believe I have to come to this dumb shithole. I mean, it's, it's just these people are totally uneducated and I just, I don't know. But, but like a lot of people, he absolutely fell in love with the place. And um, he just produced this incredibly beautiful book that has created millions of dollars for the state of Iowa. And it's sort of a classic writer's workshop book because it's just the, the writing is so good. And I think he wrote throughout his career. Um, I think he ended up in um, as a professor of writing um, in Alberta. This was not his only book, but I think this was kind of his magnum opus and certainly for Iowans probably one of the top 10 books of all time, um, you know, at least as it applies to Iowa. I can't think of any other book, maybe other than Bridges of Madison County um, by Robert Waller um, that had as significant an impact in terms of how people view Iowa and its relationship to tourism because the book is still paying dividends. So I'm going to start with this. So it's he's a fantastic writer. We're going to share some actual passages from that. So I'm going to start with, I think, what probably is a critique by some of the book to sort of start. And then we're going to address that at the end through the lens of these various meditations that come in, these various voices that this guy hears um, throughout the course of the novel. And so the book starts with this very idealistic quote by Robert Kennedy, which I didn't actually catch the first time I read this book. But it starts with his Kennedy's quote on dreams. And he says, and I quote, some men see things as they are and say, why? I dream of things that never were and say, why not? That quote is um, Bobby Kennedy, a very idealistic politician who, of course, tragically lost his life in 19, June of 1968. And so I think this is kind of a central issue, this concept of dreams, because, you know, I think... I'm not the first to bring this up, nor will I be the last, but if you think about what your dreams are, they tap deep into your subconscious in terms of what you want to do in your life. And you think about when you're younger, that's kind of the pitch we give all kids, is that any one of you can do great, incredible things. And I think one of the reasons why kids are so freaking happy is they kind of listen to their inner voice. They all think they're kind of smart. They all think they're really talented. They're they're especially when they're really long, they're young, they follow their curiosity. They sort of don't think about what other people think of them. And then of course through the educational process, and I think this is probably one of the greatest tragedies of so much of modern education, is a lot of this idealism and this ability to dream gets literally beaten out of people. And they become 
absolutely miserable because their dreams, that listening to the inner voice, is totally set to the wayside. And as a result of that, they then find themselves in a cubicle, like office space. And I think about, wow, is this really life? All life is, is freaking office space and bills and having to deal with my boss and health issues and all this stuff. And this book is kind of a response to that. And I, 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 I didn't do a deep dive into, you know, W.P. Kinsella's sort of work process. He'd probably say, Cole, you got it all wrong. But clearly, this is someone who wrote the book. Um, I believe he published it in 1982. He was born in 1935. So he would have been about 47, about my age. Maybe that's why uh, he kind of tapped me on the shoulder uh, up from heaven to have me read this book. Because I do think one of the things with middle, with middle age that we all kind of go through, some of you who are in your 60s are like, oh my God, I remember when I was in my middle age. Yeah, you're just going through all that stuff. But it is this wonderful time in life because it is this time when you actually sort of start learning some of the truths, what is true as you perceive it and what's not true as you perceive it. And you go back and you audit and you look at those dreams. Did they ever actually happen? And what are you doing about it now? And you very much get the sense that the protagonist in this book, Ray Kinsella, is this classic guy who is wondering whether his dreams will ever come true that he had when he was a little boy. And one of the things that I think the, the, the critique here is that I mentioned you know, Robert Waller, you know, some critics do not like the work of Robert Waller because they're like, oh my God, he's just, he's just too schmaltz. You know, there's something about literary critics that, that if you're too schmaltzy and you're too passionate, you, you kind of get docked for it. And Kinsella is like, no, listen to that inner voice. Because I think if you look at sources of misery, in the United States, it's with people not listening to their inner voice. And this gets to a, a critique. My first big critique of this is, I think, uh, when you talk about if you build it, they will come. This is sort of the first voice that he hears. And I think some people kind of misinterpret this, that all you need to do is just kind of listen to this, listen to that voice, and will it actually manifest what you want to have happen? And we'll answer that question at the end of it, but I, I, I'll, I'll sort of tap into some of the work of Stephen Pressfield on this because it is something that you can't just sort of manifest. You can't just sort of listen to it. But if you couple with what that inner voice is telling you and you actually apply it and affirm that as your identity, yes, you can achieve what you want to achieve but it has to come through daily application, affirming your identity, and what Stephen Pressfield calls in this book, War of Art, The Resistance. Because there are so many people, your professors, your high school teachers, your guidance counselors, telling you to not listen to that voice. Be practical. Well, here's the thing. The only practical thing that you have is to do what you're actually good at, and what actually furthers your identity. If you don't do it, there's nothing more impractical because you will be absolutely misery 
miserable. And when that happens, what happens when people get miserable? They turn to drugs, they turn to alcohol, they turn to money, they turn to a lot of things to numb themselves because it is physically and emotional, emotionally painful not to live out your dreams. So that gets into the second sort of phrase that comes in the book. And it says, ease his pain. And this is what, if you remember from the movie, Ray Kinsella and J.D. Salinger in the movie, it was Terrence Mann, are sitting in the Fenway Park and they see this thing, ease his pain, and they're connected to Moonlight Graham, who was a doctor in northern Minnesota who only played one inning in a major league baseball game and then became a fairly successful doctor in northern Minnesota. And here he kind of looks at, it's kind of like Dickens, you know, ghosts of Christmas future, ghosts of Christmas past, and ghosts of the present. What happens when people are at the end of their life and they really realize that the dream that they had did not come true because life happens. They got injured. They had to live up to their responsibilities. They had to, you know, have a job. They had to put food on the table. They had to do honorable, good things. In this particular case, Graham became a doctor. There is no greater pain than being at the end of your life and saying that you didn't achieve what you set out on this earth to achieve. And so together, they go and they feel called to connect to Moonlight Graham to give him one opportunity to actually play in a Major League Baseball game at the Field of Dreams. And so they reach out to him, and that's one of the more magical parts of the book. And I think if you are at the end of your life, what I'm trying to tell you, it's never too late to do what you were put on this earth to do. And But it does come at a cost, and you have to do it every single day, and it is never too late. There is never anything more painful than a dream that didn't occur because you did not listen to that inner voice. And that's the inner voice that, he, that Ray listened to. If you build it, they will come. Because if you don't listen to that, you will be miserable. That is not practical. You do not want to be at the end of your life listening to someone say, ease his pain. And that gets to the third thing, which also is identified in the book. And there's a lot of different things that happen in the book. But it, once you decide that you do want to go all in, Kinsella reminds us to go all in, to go the distance, to not do it halfway. Go out and live your dream and make it happen. Now, here's where I, I just absolutely love this book and... You know, is it the best book in the history of the world? No, it's not. I mean, it's it's like a good writer's workshop book. Um, this guy is a total wordsmith. Uh, it is pleasurable just to read various parts of the book. And so, for example, I'll read this selection here um, because I think it really, one, it really captures Kinsella's love affair with Iowa. He does feature various places in Iowa City, like Gilbert Street and Iowa Avenue, I think, he, I think he may even, you know, he may even talk about Hamburg and number two. It's very Iowa City. Uh, so, and this is a classic Iowa City story. He says, 
I came to Iowa to study one of the thousands of faceless students who passed through large universities, but I fell in love with the state, fell in love with the land, the people, the sky, the cornfields, and Annie, that's his wife. Couldn't find work in my field. Uh, I heard that one before. Uh, took what I could get, and for years, I bathed each morning, frosted my cheeks with aqua velva. My dad loved aqua velva. Donned a three-piece suit and snap broom hat, and feeling like Superman emerging from the telephone booth, set forth to save the world from lack of life insurance. I loathed the job so much that I did it quickly, urgently, almost violently. And it was Annie, his wife, who got him to rent the farm. It was Annie who got me to buy it. I operate it the way a child fits together his first puzzle, awkwardly, slowly. But when a piece slips into the proper slot with pride, relief, and joy. And that's where he built the field of dreams. I built the field and waited and waited and waited. Isn't that so true? Why do so many people give up give up on their dreams because it doesn't instantly happen but here's what he has is he has a cheerleader who does believe it will happen and that's his wife and that is absolutely critical it's she says it says it will happen honey annie would say when i stood shaking my head at my own folly people looked at me i must have had a nickname in town but i could feel the magic building like a gathering storm it felt as if small animals were scurrying through my veins. I knew it was going to happen soon. And that, my friends, I think is the key to this novel. It's the key to the book. It's the key to your own life is to believe, to believe that that inner voice is not lying to you. That inner voice is telling you the truth and to act on it. Because if you don't, if you don't act on it, you will be physically, emotionally, and mentally ill. One of my favorite Bible verses comes from Proverbs 13, 12. And in that verse, it says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And that is the absolute essence of this particular book. I think it's the essence of writing that if you don't do that, your heart will become sick. But if you do fulfill that longing, that desire that was planted in you by your creator, you will achieve the tree of life. It's beautiful. There's another quote in the book from J.D. Salinger that I really love, the, the mythical J.D. Salinger, and it talks about not going for it. Um, and I think this is why this book resonates so much. So much. And here they're, they're talking, um, J.D. Salinger and Ray Kinsella. And he said, I wish I had your passion for baseball, Salinger says. However misdirected it may be, it is still a passion. If I had to live my life over again, I'd take more chances. I'd want more passion in my life. Less fear, more passion, more risk. Even if you fail, you've still taken a risk. Now, here I want to connect to the work of Stephen Pressfield because I think here is why I think a lot of people who, who only listen to their passion go off the wrong track. So I think we need to use the inner voice as our compass to further our identity, to set the to chart the course of our life. 
But here's the punchline, and it's good news and bad news. Okay. So I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is, is that unlike this book, you can't just wish it into existence. I think that's the problem with a lot of people who never achieve what they want to do is they think it's going to happen easily. There's always a price to pay. Pressfield talks about this as the resistance. You know, this new Netflix series, not series, but it's a documentary on Phil Stutz. He calls it the shadow self, that inner critic that basically says, you suck, you're horrible, you're not good enough. And that fear can absolutely paralyze people. And that's the bad news, is that it's fucking hard work. Nothing just happens. You have to use that inner desire, that inner voice to chart your course. But in terms of making it happen, you got to work at it every single day. And what I love about Pressfield is that there's no shortcuts. Some people have a moment of inspiration and they, you know, they, they pull a novel out of their ass and they're just, they just make it good. But for most people, I would say probably 98% of the time, it's like Stephen Pressfield, where he actually did not publish his first novel until he was 52 years old. And he worked for 20 years doing jobs that he did not love because he had a passion for writing. He knew what his identity was, and he wanted to share that gift with the world. But not only that, the process of writing itself was what brought him the joy of doing what he was going to do. And related to that, his breakout novel was called The Legends of Beggar Vance, a book about golf. It was a book about golf, and I think he brought in like Buddhism, like the Bhagavad Gita or something like that, or Hindu. So it was like this really weird kind of field of dreamy golf ghost book. I mean, it was kind of a weird concept, but he felt his inner voice was telling him to do that. And here's the thing. He had put in the 20 years. So he had put in the time to master the craft to get good enough to make this dream become reality, but it did not happen overnight. You know, a lot of times I hear, oh, there's just so many YouTube gurus out there that are just total bullshit. They're just all about simple solutions. I have a very simple metric for any of these YouTube yahoos that you that you listen to. If they say it's going to be easy, it's not going to be easy. I don't know anything that worthwhile is easy. If it were easy, everyone would do it. Everyone would be ripped. Everyone would be rich. Everyone would be achieving the dreams. It's never easy. So that's the bad news. It's never easy, and it doesn't just happen. The good news is that it is amazing and surprising that once you focus your life force, once you listen to your voice, once you actually apply it in a day-to-day way, the amazing things can happen. Now, I'm going to apply it to my own life. Sharing what I've learned with you is my life's passion. And I want to do it in such a way that you find benefit from it. So it's not only idiosyncratic to me, but it's a lesson learned that you can use, that you can share, that you can develop with someone else. And so my hopefully my takeaway for you on this particular book is to actually apply it. So if someone's going through, whether it's a teen, whether it's someone middle-aged or whether someone at the end of their life, 
just tell them to listen to that inner voice. And we'll do other podcasts and kind of how to get there. But I think the key is, is to have that as your focus and your identity. And then you decide how you're going to spend your time, how you're going to spend your money, how you're going to do what you do. You have to organize it around, does this further my passion or does it detract from it? So for me, it's the podcast. I, I have a day job. I'm a lawyer. I want to make sure that for each one of my clients, I can give them the time and the attention that they deserve and that they merit because they trusted their life over to me. Now, I have other things and other obligations, but I set aside time to further this interest, to further this identity. This is going to be a life project for me. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Now, other than my episodes in Tunkat Ali, it is, I'm not Joe Rogan. Uh, so in that sense, it has not happened. And a lot of you are like, yeah, you see, you do all this passion stuff and you're like, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be in the river. You're going to be so you're going to be so sad but no i feel great because this is something that I'm, I'm going on three years i love it it's my life's passion and purpose and it has inspired people to do things that, that they want to do so i'm going to feature people share what i've learned in mind body and spirit and hopefully catalyze you to transform your life whether you're at the beginning middle or end so at the beginning of this episode i talked about a critique is it really that simple? And does the dream really come true? And then kind of my response to that at the way end. And the answer is, is hell yeah. I, and that's what I love about field dreams. I mean, here we have this book written by a Canadian in the late 70s, early 80s by a guy at the University of Iowa Writers Workshop who talks about ghosts playing baseball and I don't know what the actual dollar figure in terms of quantifying what this dream, what listening to this voice has done for the state of Iowa, but it's to the tune of millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I, want, I don't know if it's a billion, but it's, it's millions. Okay, it's probably hundreds of billions. And because it's entered the pantheon of the deeper most longing that we all have, which is to, to live out our life's purpose and to do it in such a way where it's not about us, but where it's our gift, not only furthers our own identity, but improves the life of others. And that's, if you go back to my episode on Jay Shetty, that's key. You can't just make it all about you. Your gift has to serve someone else. So friends, hopefully you love this particular Rock B cast as much as I did in putting it on for you. Totally go out and read Shoeless Joe, the novella by W.P. Kinsella. And go out and visit. I'm at, Probably one of the things I'm going to do this summer is to visit Field of Dreams. So if you're knowing someone that the heart is sick, right? Like engage a little metaphysical diagnosis. Ask that person, are you doing what you're put on this life to do, on this earth to do? Bring them to the Field of Dreams and ask them to write about it and take some time to write down on paper, what is their identity? And what are the things that are detracting from that identity? I'll give you one quick one that's a big one for a lot of people, alcohol. Alcohol is not gonna further any aspect of your identity. It's just gonna numb you. Now, do I still drink a little bit? Yeah, I do a little bit, maybe once once a month, something like that. But once I really realized when I wasn't doing that every weekend or even every day, which was my worst, probably seven or eight years ago, 
you have so much time and energy to live out your life purpose so you can use the gifts that have been given with you because if you don't, your heart will be sick. So stay tuned for further episodes of the Rockney Cast. We're going to work on Phil Stutz, Peter Zion, J.D. Salinger, Ernest Hemingway, Stephen Pressfield. I'm hoping to secure um, some interviews of Luther College professors, some of the Luther College athletic staff, uh, staff including Joe Troche, uh, the, the new football coach at uh, Luther College. And hopefully uh, you are learning as much as I am doing these podcasts. And hopefully I've offered something today that will kind of reset the way you think about the world that's the key takeaway. Listen to that inner voice and keep spreading the word, giving me positive reviews on Apple, Spotify, all places where podcasts are heard so that we can continue to grow our tiny but mighty group of listeners on the Rockney Cast. So thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time on the Rockney Cast.